Felix. Good evening and welcome to another episode of Phantoms of Monsters Radio where we explore the strange and the unexplained. I'm your host, Lon Strickler, and thanks for joining me. Now, if you uh, enjoy our content, please like, subscribe, and share our presentations. Uh, please feel free to place a comment on as well. So um, the Super Chat is active during the show, so please show your support for Phantoms of Monsters Radio by clicking the dollar icon under the chat. Uh, you can also support us by uh, using Super Thanks or uh, Buy Me a Coffee. And uh, your consideration is very much needed and appreciated. So tonight, Daryl Sims joins me. Now, Daryl is known as the Alien Hunter. He's a researcher, counselor, international speaker, private investigator, and reality TV personality. His presentations had taken him to 19 nations. Now, Daryl's work has been displayed in museums such as the $52 million UFO Space Museum in Haiku, Japan, the Roswell UFO Museum, and Museum of Kosice, Slovakia. He is considered the world's leading expert on alien abductions. His 80, 38 years of field research has focused on physical evidence, which has led to his groundbreaking discoveries of alien implants and alien fluorescence. As a former military police officer, officer and CIA operative, he has a unique insight in the alien organization, which he believes functions similarly to intelligence agency. Um, This interesting past allows Sims to draw upon some unique skill sets and to to encounter the UFO phenomena. Now, uh, Daryl is also a compassionate, skilled therapist who has helped hundreds of alien experiences all over the world come to terms with what they witness. He operates the Houston UFO Network and currently works as a licensed private investigator in Houston, Texas. And his website can be found at thealienhunter.com. So, Daryl, thank you for joining me this evening. I'm delighted to be here, Lonnie. You're a... You're a, a <laughs> You're a historical marker on the radio program, I'm telling you. 
People know you <laughs> everywhere. I appreciate that. Um, I know uh, that you did have an encounter when you were younger. And uh, if you want to talk about that, fine. But how has it led to what you do today? Yes. Uh, uh, first of all, my uh, I'm, I'm getting a lot of feedback. I'm, I'm hearing you and then I'm hearing myself again. Oh, that, okay. So, Maybe Vincent can fix that. Yeah, that would be great. Yeah, yeah, Daryl, I'm uh, I'm gonna do a little uh little thing for you. We're gonna have you. I'm gonna I'm gonna get you out of the studio, and I'll have you come back in. Sometimes when you put the headphones on after you enter the studio, you get this weird feedback loop. So I'm gonna take you out. You just follow the same link that we gave you to come in. Just okay. Press that again, and it'll it'll walk you out. Very good. Okay. So, folks, until we do that, um, I, I just want to say I've got uh, I've got some issues coming up medical-wise, and uh, we may have some changes in the schedule towards the end of the month. But um, after we get that, after I get that straightened out, and I know more, I'll let you know what's going on. Uh, anyway, um, like us, oh, there we go. See what Daryl's coming in now. Okay, Daryl, are we good to go? I think we're all right. Let's. Okay, sounds good. <clears throat> okay. So, like I asked you before, uh, I, I know you had some issues or you had an encounter when you were younger. Uh, can you kind of tell us a bit about that? Plus, uh, how has that affected or okay. had it, you know, impacted on what you do now? Lon. Um... Lon, I'm still getting uh, a huge feedback from you and also from uh, uh, my own voice and possibly a third one out there. Oh, God. Every time we talk aliens, it happens. Okay. So so if, if you'll bear with me, we're, we're, I'm going to once again take, take you out. I want you to turn, just re, reboot your system and, and, and then go back from there. I think it's just... You got a bad connection or something. I can hear me on your feedback loop. So yeah, I can hear it as well when you were talking. Okay. Okay, folks, just bear with us. We'll we'll get Daryl in here. Yep. Yep. You want me to reboot the computer? Yeah, reboot everything. If you could, if you could. I appreciate it. Yeah, just thank you for working with us. I'm not sure what the connection. I apologize. Okay, folks. Well, until we have him, um, and we t until Daryl comes back, if you've got a question that you want to put in the chat, just go ahead and put it in there, and uh, and I can answer some questions and stuff in until we get Daryl back on, on the show. Uh, yeah, somebody asked if I'm okay. Yeah, I am okay. I, I, I did have a uh, – I had a cancer diagnosis. And I got to go through some lung surgery, and uh, we're going to do that probably in the month. But uh, it's uh, the way it looks. It looks like it's going. It, you know, we'll see. But I think I'm going to be fine. So, um, all 
Yeah. And, okay. Like I say, if you have any questions, just, you know, folks, just hang in with us. We'll get this straightened out. Every time we had, you know, it's live radio. And when uh, you talk about aliens, I don't know what the hell it is, but there's something that does pop up once in a while. I hate the dead air. <laughs> oh, God. Well, I was going to save this for the end of the show, but I will say that I, I will tell you what's coming up. Um, you know, next Wednesday at 9 p.m., I, I'm going to go ahead and present another personal reports episode. And uh, next Friday, we're going to conduct a malevolent haunting roundtable. That should be a very informative show. And, of course, after our show tonight is, is uh, Paranormal Life with Bernadette McDaniel, and she has a uh, an afterlife author as her guest, Hadley of Lajos. And so uh, that'll be 8, 11 o'clock Eastern, 10 p.m. Central Time. Okay, we should, should be good. Okay, Daryl, can you is, is the sound pretty good now? Uh, so far, I, I'll, I'll know as soon as I, if I hear any feedback. Okay. Yeah, you've you've got a clear signal, Daryl. Thank you for putting up with us. I, I'm sorry about the uh, little disconnect. It's quite all right. These things happen. Believe me. They do happen. Lon already knows this. <laughs> so, uh, like I asked before, uh, talk about your your early encounter and how it's affected you. Certainly, the <clears throat> my uh, event started at age four, uh, 1952, and. Uh, I, I simply woke up because I realized some, somebody's in my room and I didn't realize that he's already brought me back from the event and he's leaving. And I, as I, I watched this skinny little super skinny person with a huge head walking toward a wall, and I'm, I'm thinking, you know, he's going to bump into the wall because, uh, I mean, what is he doing in my room? And I'm, anyway, I can't figure any of this out. And and I, as I thought he's going to bump into the wall, he apparently heard me mentally because he turned and looked at me with these large black eyes that were perfectly round, uh, about an inch and a half across, with no, literally no nose and a slit for a mouth, no ears. And I heard him say something, which is the first time I'd ever heard anybody else's voice in my head. And he said, it's awake. And I realized at that point, he's, there's only two people in the room. He's not talking about himself. Mm. So I realized that um, there's a problem. And when he turned and looked at me, I was uh, astounded. Now, the reason this part of the story is really important for, for me and for my life and, uh, and perhaps for some of the people in your audience is... Uh, I noticed as I looked at him, and kids look at look at things differently than adults. Adults look at something like that, and they probably say, "Oh, it's an alien from another planet," or "I'm scared," or "Wow," or I'm, "Let's worship it," or whatever. Uh, little kids just look at him, and uh, as I looked at him, I noticed he didn't have any mammary glands, he didn't have any nipples, he didn't have a belly button, he didn't have any clothes on, he didn't have a TT. And I couldn't figure out what is wrong with this guy. Where is all, I, 
I got all my stuff. Where's his? You know, <laughs> so I, I just can't figure this out at all. And uh, long story short, is he at some point uh, uh, turned me off? The, uh, some abductees will often refer to this as being switched off, which basically means they take control of you and they don't allow you to remember anything. Uh, but I was so traumatized by this part of the event that uh, I, I don't know how I learned how to do this, but I switched myself back on mm -hmm. and he, and he didn't notice it because I, I, I'm, I'm listening in his head now and he's thinking about what he's going to do to create a screen memory for me so that I will believe that I've had a bad dream that I'll never believe any of this to be true. And he, he conjures up this image of this horrific clown in his in my head at that point, and I kept shaking my head back and forth. No, 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 no. I I wanted to remember him for what he was, not for the clown he wanted me to think he was. So uh, anyway, long story short, is I, I wouldn't I would not allow him to do that to me. And uh, then all I remember after that is I woke up in the morning. Uh, the covers back on me. It was uh, my parents were. I was noticeably traumatized, and they kept asking me, "What happened? What's wrong? Did you have a bad dream?" And I never told them. I, I mean, I, I just didn't. My mother, who passed away this last year, was uh, uh, good night. She was uh, 89 years old, and she uh, she said, "I mean, I see, saw you on TV." And, and everything, and I know you're an investigator, but they said you were an abductee. That's just not right. And I said, well, uh, yeah, it, it kind of is. And so uh, she was horrified by that. And said, well, why did you never tell us? And I said, because of that dumb-looking Boo Radley look on your face right now. <laughs> I did not want to see that at age four. Mm -hmm. So I said, uh, if I stand there and tell somebody the truth of my soul, and, uh, and they sit there and look at me like, uh, you know, I need medication or something. Uh, that conversation is over. And I didn't, didn't want to have it with you at, uh, at age four. Right. So obviously this impacted your life. I mean, did, did it ever happen again for you? It, it did happen again, Lon. Uh, the, the, uh, I had approximately 10 events over the next, uh, 13 years. Okay. Uh, the uh, events, um, I can go into one or two of them if you like. Sure. Uh, the, uh, we, we moved from Midland, Texas. That's where my first event occurred uh, before I was in school. Then we moved to, uh, later moved to Mayhill, New Mexico, which is literally, and I mean literally, a wide place in the road. I mean, because there's nothing else but mountains on both sides. So uh, uh, the son of a, a Baptist minister and we uh, were building a parsonage, a house uh, beside the church. And uh, so we lived in the basement of the church and we got the parsonage finished. The reason that was significant is because I had to go out to go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. And the, the easiest place to go to the bathroom was a what is, <laughs> we referred to as the outhouse. And this is literally a little wooden shed like you might see in the movies, like uh, Yellowstone or something. That's literally what it was. It was just an outdoor toilet outdoor privy whatever you want to call it and i went out there used the bathroom shut the door and there was the same cosmic skinhead looking at me uh i mean i was just stunned and uh and then i disappeared and uh with him and uh the next morning that was on a friday 
the next morning was Saturday. I went out to play as I always did. And I loved insects, loved animals, loved fishing. I mean, it was perfect environment for me. I loved it. <clears throat> but I did something that I never, ever understood until I got, got thinking about it. I was uh, killing uh, grasshoppers as fast as I could catch them. I would catch them and pull their heads off. Mm. And this made no sense to me because I love insects. I mean, I, I, I love animals. We've rescued more animals than most people have ever seen in their life. And my daughter's still doing that now, and in, in, uh, in, uh, that's in Scotland. <clears throat> and anyway, as I was got a, I caught another grasshopper, had, had literally hundreds of them laying there on the ground dead. And I looked at him, and I got him real close to my face, and I realized, what am I doing? And I realized, that's the wrong insect. The insect I thought it was, was that of a, a pragmatist, a triangular head. I looked mm-hmm. at it closely and realized wrong insect. And that was the one that got me the night before. Oh, so you had an encounter with an insectoid then. Okay. That was that was not a lot of fun. <clears throat> so the, the 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 bottom line with with my events, I don't I don't consider them that uh significant. I have two thousand cases worldwide that I work from India to Japan to South America to here, <clears throat> even in Romania. Um so I use my cases as an illustration for myself, but I don't use them as a standard for everyone else because there's so many cases that are very good cases to look at. Uh, I, I choose to use those rather as illustrations, but I, I use my own so people realize I have had the events and I, I kind of know what I'm talking about. But the, what was most significant <clears throat> in, in all of my events was the ability to switch myself back on when the alien turned me off. Now, since I learned how to do that accidentally in the first event at age four, I still practiced that over and over in these events. And the wonderful thing was the alien didn't know I was listening. And I never said anything, never interacted with them, just acted like I didn't hear it. But now I'm listening to the, what them talk about what it is they're doing are going to do and what some of their plans are <clears throat> that gave me a huge insight on the alien phenomena that i've never ever would have gotten as an abductee or or reading information it, it, you'll you it's like listening it's like being a spy in a room and everybody's speaking russian and they don't realize you speak russian too yeah it, it's it was really bizarre so I picked up a lot of information about the alien phenomena, what they're up to, who they are, what's going on, so to speak. It, it gave me a, a pretty decent insight from where I'm at, because after my events ended at age 17, um, I uh, finally joined the Vietnam War. Uh, I joined the United States Army and uh, as a volunteer and uh, went into, uh, I was sheep dipped. And for your audience, what that simply means it's when the CIA reaches into the military and they pick out somebody they want. And mm-hmm. I and several other people were chosen. And uh, we had no idea where we were going at the time. And long story short is I ended up in Central Intelligence Agency in a, in a spy camp. And that's where I learned some of the tradecraft of, uh, of the spying business and so on. I was not a spy. I was not hired to be a spy. Uh, that those are called case officers. There's no such thing as a CIA agent in that sense of the word. 
they're case officers, all of them. <clears throat> and uh, my my work primarily there was to uh, uh, make that look like a military base, not a CIA base. And number two, uh, my my second responsibility was as weapons instructor and a martial arts instructor. Interesting. So how has uh, your work with the agency uh, impacted on your, your work now as an alien hunter? Uh, I was rather stunned when I first began to learn some of the trade craft. <clears throat> I was amazed because it was stunning to me that how much the intelligence community, not just the CIA, the KGB, <laughs> Mossad, all of them, they function the same way, how much it, it functions like <clears throat> the like the alien the aliens do, and by that I mean they lie and they lie consistently. Mm-hmm. Deception's the name of the game; it always has been. And uh, when you get ready to tell the truth, you tell them something that they truly will believe to be the truth, and it's still a lie. And uh, one person asked me, so, "Well, what, wait a minute, what, what do you mean?" I said, "I said, well, it's real simple." I said. Uh, how did you like this story at Roswell? We first we made a mistake and told you it was a flying disc, flying saucer. Next day we told you it was a weather balloon. I said majority of the people still it, they did at the time believed it was a weather balloon. That was mm-hmm. our that was the lie, that was the cover story. Aliens have cover stories just like we do. We call them screen memories, but they're cover stories. They're things to hide over what really occurred in the person's event. Mm. Well, I'm an experiencer myself, so I concur and understand exactly what you're talking about. It's, um, but, you know, let me ask you this question. Now, since you have had involvement with, with these beings and uh, you understand, you know, like you said, their spycraft or their intelligence, what do you believe their actual agenda is with us? Well, it's 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 kind of a difficult answer because there's there's so many facets to it. But right. the general the general aspect, in my opinion, uh, after fifty years of research, is that uh, this phenomena, first of all, hasn't been going on over one hundred and fifty to two hundred years. Mm-hmm. We're, we're we're new to the game, so to speak. This is a new program. And uh, the fascinating thing I've learned about it uh, toward the end of my career, so to speak, uh, is that that program is almost finished and they consider it to be a failure. They do not consider the, the pro- whatever their program and they do, will not tell you what it is. But uh, our best information is that they consider it to have failed and that, uh, that this program eventually will end. I don't know when, but uh, our our information that we retrieved was that it would be uh, we were in the last hundred years of of the entire program. And uh, by that, we don't know whether we're in the last five years, 10 years, three years. We don't, we don't know, but we know Mm -hmm. most of, most of it is over, whatever that may have been. Well, now you've been involved with an assortment of alien abduction scenarios and such. Um, do you first believe there is an alien hybrid uh, type of program or is, it, is there something else as the main objective? Well, there is a there is a uh, hybridization program going on 
by which uh, it's on several levels, by the way, uh, mm-hmm. and is a good example of this. Uh, MUFON, the Mutual UFO Network, years ago told their doctors told uh, a number of their people that uh, these women making these claims of uh, uh, alien pregnancies and that sort of thing, it, is, it just ain't true. They either don't know their bodies or they they're, they went out and had sex with somebody and got pregnant and made up an alien story, this sort of thing. So when I was up in uh, the northwest part of, northeast part of the country, a friend of mine is a MUFON investigator, one of the top ones, said, I want you to do a presentation for a lot of my MUFON friends and, and investigators. I want you to show them, tell them the truth. And I said, <laughs> you sure you want me to do this? And he said, yes, I do. And I said, okay. And uh, so I did a presentation on the alien implants. The last implant that I showed was, uh, I said, uh, there is this story that the, some of these women have these alleged alien freak pregnancies. And uh, this has been poo-pooed by a lot of people as, as not true or correct. And I said, I'm here to tell you that you're wrong. And then I produced uh, a sonogram of an alien inside a woman in the mm-hmm. pregnancy. You could not, you could hurt a pin drop on the carpet. Nobody said a word, not one word. And I said, what you'd also don't understand is we have several people who've already been born as a result of some of these experiments and we know who they are. Interesting. I have, uh, I have had clients who I have worked with who have been, uh, in particular, one lady who was impregnated pregnated many times and at at the third at the end of the first trimester the the baby would disappear yes and it happened to her four times well the one of the most interesting ones uh was with bud hopkins doing a presentation in the the, the eastern part of the u.s years ago and uh, a lady came up and uh asked us if we would be interested in talking to her about a case it was quite late at night and i said well, young lady, we're fixing to all go to dinner. We've been here for three days and all of that. And and uh, she was very devoted. And I said, uh, here, here's my 20-page form. Fill it out. If you're still here, when I get back, I'll work with you. She said, thank you, thank you, thank you. And <laughs> I came back. And there she was. Forms all filled out. And she said, I, I said, well, I, I, I don't normally take uh, women into my room or anything like that unless I know them. Uh, and she said, I'm a surgical nurse and all that. And I said, okay. So we went in and talked and she said, I've been under hypnosis. And the, uh, I said, well, what's the problem? She said, well, the, the problem is she said, I, the hypnotist, uh, all he could get me to do was to basically see two little shadows running out of the room at some point. And I said, he, he said there was a block in there. I said, sometimes they install blocks. Uh, we found as many as three deep in an individual. The reason is because you either saw or heard something you weren't supposed to see or hear, and they know it. And so the way they do that is to try to install blocks to keep hypnotists and other people from gathering that information. Mm-hmm. And she said, well, can you get past that? And I said, uh, actually, I'm pretty good at this sort of thing. And uh, so I gave her my background in medical and hypnotic anesthesia and and as a master hypnotherapist. So um, it, uh, the amazing thing about this whole story 
is she did not have a clue about alien anything. I mean, I said, well, what happened? She said, well, I divorced my husband over this event. I said, goodness sakes, for, for what reason? She said, well, I'm a surgical nurse. We're, I'm going to end my career here, and then we're going to raise a family. And we agreed not to have sex until I got out of the medical field. And I said, okay, fine. And she said, I woke up in the middle of the night during this, that dream thing where there's two little shadows were in the room, and there's uh, a semen all over my stomach. And I, did, I, looked, I looked around the room, and all I could see, of course, my husband over asleep. Well, I just went over and started slapping him silly. And he thought I was completely insane. He said, well, what is wrong with you, woman? And she said, you stupid. And anyway, she, she thought he had done that. And uh, I said, okay. And then what happened? She said, well, I divorced him. What would you expect? I said, okay. Um, interesting. I said, I uh, got a couple other questions. I said, the, the, what happened? She said, well, I got pregnant. And I said, okay. And it, it, the story just gets worse. So I said, well, uh, well, t tell me, fill me in here. I said, when you got pregnant, did the fetus disappear in the first trimester? See, she doesn't know anything about any of this. She didn't have mm -hmm. a clue. No, I got pregnant. What do you think I'm supposed to do? I'm, you, you have a baby. And I said, oh, my. Uh, the, the baby came to term? She said, well, of course it did. And I said, uh, e, 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 is, <laughs> how's your, how's your child now? And she told me, and I said, okay, was there anything unusual about his birth? And she said, now again, she doesn't understand. She, she didn't know a thing in the world about alien anything. Right. She said, the weird thing is, she said, the baby scared me half to death. And I said, well, why would the baby scare you half to death? She's because he looked like a, a praying mantis. And I said, okay. And I suspect that uh, I've seen the baby pictures. I got pictures of everything. And he doesn't look like a pregnant. He does look a little odd. But the thing is, I think she attached the meaning of the alien that picked her up, attached that memory to the child because of the weirdness of the event. Mm. So anyway, it was uh, very similar to the Bar Bar Betty Barney Hill case long bendable needle and uh, she said well how did how are you gonna how are you gonna how are we gonna find out what happened i said it's real simple we just we're gonna do something real interesting and uh and and i did the procedure and and she opened her eyes she goes oh my god and she remembered everything in detail because mm -hmm. what i did i did basically was to uh, run her program whatever happened to her and this is going to sound a little odd if you're, it, unless you're very extremely skilled in hypnotherapy and memory recovery, you're not going to probably understand this. Uh, but I ran the program backwards. Now, there's two reasons I did that. Number one, because the blocks won't work that way. And number two is because you can't lie backwards. Right. One, one of the reasons police officers bring you into a room and question you for hours is they try to take apart your story and they start making you recall parts of it, pieces of it that they're sure that wasn't true and are trying to get, if you're not telling the truth, you you can't fabricate that thing correctly. You, it did. In other words, your lie is not in, in correct. It's not in a memory succession. 
that's why it's e usually easy to get two people who are making up stuff. You you can see holes in their in their story. Well, all this came to to her instantly, and she realized, "Oh my God, I left my husband for no reason." <laughs> well, yeah, <laughs> duh. And uh, I said, "Well, is your is your son alive?" And she says, "Yes, of course he is." I said, "Has he had a very troubled background?" And she said, "Yes, he did." And I said, "Would he, you think, be available for a DNA test?" And uh, one doctor asked me, he said, well, that's not going to prove anything. It's going to prove that you went out and had sex with somebody else. And I said, you mm. guys are all the same. You know, I, I, these people, no wonder they don't trust you. They don't talk to you. Uh, I said, here's the deal. I said, we'll do the DNA test. But what we're going to find, in my opinion, is that the father is, in fact, not her husband, which you're not going to be surprised about at all. It's going to, in your opinion, confirmed that you got it. So uh, the second thing we're going to find is, lo and behold, the DNA is also not hers. It's not her egg. Mm. I said, listen to me carefully. I said, many accounts that you'll t the women will talk about how they took their eggs. Uh, Betty and Barney Hill, a good example like they did with this woman. And by the same token, men, they took their sperm. Right. What do you think they're doing with eggs and sperm? It, it, they take them to the milk factory and that's where they develop them into hybrids or whatever part of the program they're working on at the time, which they, for the most part, keep pretty private. Hmm. Interesting. Yes. Um, you know, I have, I have been working with, experiences in that alien abductees for almost 30 years now do you be, let me ask you this do you believe there has been um the protocol for alien abductions has changed over time in other words just like with betty and barney hill they were brought up upon a craft they were experimented on uh they were it was a horrific experience. And as time went on, we had more and more of these, uh, these incidents where uh, bodily fluids were taken and uh, it seemed more of a, a hybridization type thing. And in more recent years, to me anyway, it, it seems that when people have been taken, they're experiencing a, a, a wide variety of different types of beings. I mean, anywhere from the grays up until the insectoids. And, uh, it, you know, but it doesn't seem to be as invasive uh, with them as it was previous. Have you noticed anything like that? Well, I've, my, I finished my last uh, 26th uh, surgical intervention for an alien implant in India. Right. And in that in that case, uh, they were as active as ever. And in her case, there were uh, the Nordics were involved, a reptile, uh, and, and several gray aliens. And they they all had distinct different uh, things that they did with her to uh, basically, in my opinion, to uh, give her memory whatever they wanted it to be, so to speak, with a mm -hmm. screen, screen or otherwise. Um, I've got, uh, Lon, I've got, I've got uh, some cases of, uh, 
a lady called, the two people called us last week wanting me to do a TV program for them. And uh, one of the things they want to talk about was, uh, you know, are, are there injuries and things like that in, in these events? And I laughed and I said, uh, in many of these events, injuries are prominent because of the fact they take pieces of skin, either from scoop marks or from, we've got cases of pieces of big chunks of skin missing out of a guy's neck. Uh, a runner was abducted one time while he was running and out of the back top of his hip, two inches wide, four inches long, a section of skin quarter inch deep taken out. Uh, I said, I've got cases of uh, human mutilations. One, an elderly woman skinned alive in her bed. We know, and you can, if, if you know anything about police work, you can tell where people are alive or dead whenever they were uh, uh, choked, assaulted or whatever. Right. And uh, there are reasons to, to understand that. And it's that woman was skinned alive in her own bed. What scientific and medical procedure do you think was necessary to do that to that elderly woman? And of course, you just get silence. You know, well, there isn't any. Said, but we've got two dead children in Dallas, Texas, as a result of their abductions. I said, I have the autopsy reports. I said, it, 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 people just start crying in the audience when they start seeing this stuff. So uh, I've been uh, kind of on the business end of this thing. Uh, because I, I, I do a lot of field work and uh, it's not just people coming to me. It's me going out after them and looking for them. Uh, the, uh, I could tell a thousand stories, but the, the, it's, it's a moot point. I mean, either it's true or it isn't. And uh, you know, so the, and that, that's where I'd, I guess I'd have to leave it. But, yeah. for the, but the bottom line is that the procedures uh, do vary with different, differing people depending on number one, if you're an abductee or two, if you're a contactee mm -hmm. abductee being the person like me got taken and didn't like it, you know, especially when they came and got my son. Now that really, that bent me out of shape. Uh, you can mess with me all you want to. I'll, I'll get over it. I'll figure it out. I'm a big guy, but whenever you come after my six year old son, we got problems and uh, I'll hunt you down. I don't care if you're from another planet or another dimension or where you think you're from you're eventually going to have to show up here again and I'll be waiting for you. So I want to know a lot about what they're doing and so on. And uh, contactees on the other point, other, other hand are people who have experienced uh, these events and they feel like the aliens are here to help us fix those on hold, do some great thing, uh, upgrade our DNA or whatever, whatever, whatever whopper they want to tell you in my opinion, yeah. uh, because I, I just haven't seen any of it happen yet. Ozone hole hadn't been fixed. <laughs> DNA hasn't been upgraded. And uh, people are still is doing the same thing they always have. So to yeah. speak. So I'm, yeah, I, I'm I don't, like you. I don't, I don't really that. buy into that whole that whole scenario. Doesn't work for me. <laughs> yeah. Just, you know, you mentioned it, your son was taken. Uh, yes. And I can understand if that may very well be a point where you got more and more serious about this. But that's the only family member you know of that has had, I mean, I'm talking about even going back that has had encounters. No, my, first of all, my brother, my brother was taken. We later found it much, much, much later. My father in all likelihood was taken. Mm -hmm. uh, I was taken. My son was taken. That's uh, uh, four of us in one family alone. And then we mm, found that we did. We also did find some interesting stats too that your audience might be interested in. 45% uh, of the people taken are Native American, Indian, Irish, Celtic, or Scottish. Uh, 
Now, when I went to Turkey, the uh, Turks uh, said, Mr. Sim, we love your presentation better than anyone, and but you made one big mistake. And I said, what's that? I said, tell me, because I want to know. It's, well, we're Turks. We're not Indians. We're not Native Americans. And I said, well, even if I were incorrect about that, I said, you would be the 55% that weren't Native American, Indian, Irish, Scottish, Celtic. But the fact is, I'm right, and you're still, and you're wrong. It's no, no, no. But anyway, two years later, a professor at Ankira, that's the capital of Turkey, at Ankira, came to America and took uh, samples of Native American in the North tribes and took it back to Ankira and did DNA testing on Turks all over Turkey and did the DNA samplings. And guess what he found? What's that? Turks, Turks are Native American as well. <laughs> they brought over and had the biggest powwow you ever saw in Ankira after that. And, Turks are, <laughs> and then my friends wrote me back and said, oh, Mr. Sims, you know, you're correct. You're, you're, you're correct. You're 45% Native American. I said, I told you I was. I don't need your accolades, pat on the head or anything else. My stats are strong. I know they are. We know what we're doing. We've done this for a long time. Interesting. Quite interesting. Um, yeah, let me ask you this. Uh, we, we have been getting some questions. Um, Summer Nights and Neon Lights asked uh, that you had fi figured out that aliens leave a residue when they touch things. Is that correct? That is correct, sir. The, uh, the best way to think of that uh, in a very simplistic form, but it makes it, it works real well, is to think of the alien sweating. And if he touches you on the hand, on the arm, this sort of thing, or grabs you on the hand, or you grab him on the arm, if you grab him on, the, on his little arm when you're, you're going somewhere with him, on the inside of your hand, there'll be a sweat-like material uh, that will be, uh, it's usually a, a, a greenish in color. It penetrates the skin subdermally on contact. That means it's simply going to be, uh, it's going to penetrate your skin deeply so that you, you can't wash it off. Uh, we've had doctors use various chemicals. You can't get it off. It'll wear off in about 48 hours to several days. Uh, the fact is that this uh, chemistry, uh, some think it's a chemical signature, some think it's something else. There are all kinds of theories about what I'm, I made that discovery in 1992 when I was uh, uh, working with one of our abductees, my uh, senior investigators, an engineer, and a, a, and a genius IQ, by the way. Uh, we were working with her and I asked her, I said, may I look at your exposed arm and neck and everything? Um, with a black light. And she said, why? And I said, I don't know. I said, my intuition tells me that we're, we're seeing things in the visible range, but we need to be looking in the invisible. And mm -hmm. uh, I said, one of the first areas I want to look at is uh, UV. And uh, I took the UV light and found on the inside of her arm right there, a large uh, fluorescent Mandelbrot set a Brandebrot set is a mathematical construction of fractal geometry, which uh, illustrates the order and chaos. And that fractal was on the inside of her arm. And of course, when she saw it, she just like, just like a rape victim. She said, what the blankety blank is that? 
And I said, I don't know. And she ran to the bathroom and started scrubbing as hard as she could with the washcloth. And the harder she scrubbed, the brighter it got. And I mean, she started crying then. Cause you feel, you realize you've been violated. You know, so what is that? I mean, there's two, there's two primary approaches to the, the fluorescence as we call it. The, the one where they touch you or you touch them and you get the fluorescence on you. It's a good marker for you because it tells you that your event was, you weren't asleep in an altered state. Uh, your event was 3d. It actually happened and they took you somewhere. It's just that simple. Uh, if they about 80% of these abduction events or contact events, uh, is, are not, are not physical like that. Uh, many of them occur in your bed or in your car or wherever, and you didn't go anywhere. Now, a lot of people get offended when you hear, say that, Jen, well, you're saying I'm not an abductee or a contactee. I'm not saying that. I'm saying the contact methodology is uh, 80% of the time is not to take you anywhere. They can do whatever they want to do where they're going to meet you. It's that simple. Mm -hmm. But in, in a number of cases, like in my, when I was four, I went out right through the wall with him. I mean, it's just that simple. Uh, but it, I didn't, no one knew anything about fluorescence or anything like that until I discovered it in 1992. The second kind of fluorescence was the one that was on the woman's inside her arm. That's called a procedural contact. That's done with a piece of equipment or some other method. Uh, I'll be in, in Manchester and also uh, with our, our, I should say this is, this is really cool. Uh, we've we got a, a conference. I'm going to demonstrate this in great, great detail uh, uh, when we go to Encounters Quest in the, that's in, in Hamlet, North Carolina. It, it's at EncounterQuest.com for your listeners. And I'm telling you, that's uh, we're going to have a blast there because I'm going to demonstrate uh, handwriting analysis and how you can sp and and use skills like this to spot whether people are abductees and contactees, even if they don't know it. Uh, it's just a it's just a plethora of wonderful things I'm going to be showing there that we've kept quiet for a long time, and. Uh, and now we'd, we'd like to like to like to share them with people and let people see the way it's going to be. But that's going to be on April first in Hamlet, North Carolina. And I'm telling you, it's 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 going to be it's going to be a blockbuster. But I'll be demonstrating the the fluorescence uh, procedural, and uh, and I'll be checking people there who want to be checked for this sort of thing, and also be checking them for possible alien implantation. Good. I mean, that, that sounds like an interesting conference. It's going to be, uh, a, it's to be a riot. Uh, Jose Sanchez asked, could, uh, could some of the great ETs be wearing suits in order to cover up a more gruesome appearance? I've had one, in, I've had one abductee tell me that. Um, what are your thoughts on that? Well, I, again, uh, uh, Lon, I, I'm a former police officer and have been a private investigator for 40 years in a, in a, my background in this in the intelligence community for two years in covert operations i bring a strong investigative background to this phenomena and being an abductee on top of that and being able to separate all of that uh, gives me uh, i i think a, a pretty unique point of view um in this and uh 
I've, uh, I, I hear every story I think in the world. And like you, I've had one or two of these cases where people swear the alien was wearing a suit, mm -hmm. covering himself, uh, basically covering his identity. And by and large, 99% of the people who do see the alien, so to speak, don't describe that. They describe that the alien may be wearing a, a, a body suit or something like that, or a tunic or a hood or whatever. But ge generally speaking, uh, the alien, uh, what you see is what you get. I mean, you're looking at the real deal. All right. uh, in, in, in most cases, uh, the, the alien fake suit, I don't understand the logic for that. Uh, it doesn't mean it isn't true. It just, I mean, maybe an alien wanted to hide the suit. That's possible. But I don't see the value of it because there's so many others that have been seen for what they were and for what they did, so to speak. So it doesn't, that, that doesn't hold a lot of, carry a lot of weight with, with me. I have to go with a big body of evidence and it's not what I believe. It's what, what I can basically prove or show evidence of. And the strongest evidence is going to be that there are about seven of these primary entities that are showing up. Mm -hmm. And I call them the usual suspects. And for those of your audience that want to uh, see that in any degree, they can email, go to alienhunter.com and uh, thealienhunter.com and just click on it and you can, it'll email me automatically and ask for the, you want to see spires on the moon or see, uh, know things about the alien or, or things about why they chose you. We can talk about that if you want. There are six mm -hmm. primary reasons why they choose abductees or contactees, in my opinion. And there may be a hundred reasons, but there are six I'm extremely confident of. I'll, I can go to court with that one. Can you detail those? Yes, sir, I will. Uh, thanks for asking. <laughs> <laughs> leading, <laughs> more leading questions here. Um, the, uh, and, and this is, it's real important for the, for your audience to, uh, and I'll give a little bit of context for this. I was doing this presentation in, uh, good night. It's the 19, early 1990s, uh, 1994, five, something like that in, uh, Laughlin, uh, Nevada mm -hmm. and, uh, Dr. Carla Turner and her husband, uh, and others were in the audience and I was giving this presentation and I said, there are at least six reasons why I think the aliens take you. And one woman in the audience stood up and she hit the fan. She was so mad. That's just not true. And I said, uh, well, actually it is. Now I said, uh, I said that I'll give you these six in groups of twos. The first two uh, is uh, they're interested in either or of these six your uh, spiritual or psychical ability. And I said, now, before you, everybody takes off and say, oh yeah, me, I'm psychic or I'm spiritual. So they want me. That's not, the, that's not what I said. That's what you think I said. What I said was your ability in spiritual or, or psychical things, they don't care if you're Gene Dixon. They don't care if you're the top psychic in the world. They don't care if you're Billy Graham. That means nothing to them. It's not the skill. It's the way you process. Mm -hmm. You process differently than other people. And they understand that. They, they understand is not the right word. 
they're very interested in that because you're not like other people. There's something wrong with you, so to speak. Uh, and it, it's unique. It is. And uh, the second group is people that it, it's a science and technical. My uh, engineer would fall in with, with this one for sure. And again, they don't care if you're an engineer. They don't care if you're Einstein. They could care less. They don't care about that. None of it's important to them. What they do care about is that your ability to learn and to process data in the science and technical realm is not natural. You don't process like other people. I right. told the lady at, at, at this point, I said, I fall into the last two categories. And she said, what's that? And I said, I fall in the category of people who learn psychologically or physiological things with little or no training. And she stood up, I mean, stood up in a, a whole meeting and said, prove it. And I said, well, uh, I was a third degree black belt at the time in uh, Gojuru and uh, Shotokan Karate. And uh, I said, well, I'm a third degree black belt. She said, lots of people got black belts. And I said, that's true. I said, but I, it's not a, a black belt that you can buy in advance, go to school, go to classes and learn, you know, in you know a year or two and come out with your black belt. I said, if you know anything about Shotokan and Gojiru people, if you ever fight them in a match, you may beat them. You might, but they're going to bring a piece of you back with them. <laughs> it, it, you're, you're going to understand you've been in trouble. So uh, she's, well, lots of people have been. I said, I, I, okay, I said, you're missing my whole point. You think this is about ego, and it's not. I said, young lady, I've never had an instructor in the martial arts. The great Mastatsu Yama, the guy who killed bulls with his left and right punches, the eighth degree black belt in Japan, he wrote personal letters to me. I've got the letters and can show them on the internet if I wanted to. In fact, one black belt did challenge me to that. He said, there's no great, the, the great Mastatsu Yama would not, would not uh, talk to you. A white belt said, just impossible. And I said, actually, and I, I provided those uh, emails to him and, and, and copies of the le handwritten letters. And he freaked completely. He said, my God, he said, why would he do that? I said, because he likes himself. I said, what he saw in me was something different than all his other students. I said, he's got students that are 10 times better than I'll ever be, ever. But they're not, they're not like him. There's something about me that I had done, I don't know what it is, that he just flipped him over. He just loved it. Um, anyway, so she said, well, what else? And I said, well, I have two instructorships in scuba diving, Patty and SSI. Well, lots of people got scuba diving instructorships. I said, yes, but they probably passed a basic scuba course. I said, you're missing my whole point. <laughs> you, and your thinking's about bragging and your thinking's about ego and all that. And it isn't. And she's, well, I think it's a bunch of crap. And I said, I said, I like a challenge. And I said, and since you want to be just a, a three alarm idiot here in front of everybody, let's just have some fun. I said, if the hotel will allow it, and if everybody else would like to do it, I said, I'll, uh, I said, I, I said, I, uh, I said, I, I know how to firewalk. And she said, lots of people learn how to do that, but Tony Robbins, I said, sweetie, I taught myself how to firework when Tony Robbins was in diapers. You're not listening to me. I said, if the hotel will allow it, we'll build a fire out there and I'll simply transfer my immunity to you. And you can walk if you'd like to. 
then she sat down and never said another word. <laughs> so, I, but I said, the, the, the whole thing, you, I said, you're making this into, it, it's, it's like some kind of ego contest. It's not. It's what the alien's looking for. It's not what, how much you want to brag about whatever you think you are. Mm-hmm. That's not it. I said, I'm a hypnotic anesthesia therapist. I'm a, uh, I have a, a medical hypnotherapy rating. Also, I'm a master level NLP. I said, if I told you how that all happened, you probably wouldn't believe it. That's neither here nor there. When we go to the operating room and you come in as the patient and uh, you can either go under general or local anesthetic or you can go under hypnotic anesthesia, heal up three to five times faster, and uh, that'll come out real well for you. Mm. But I said, that's, that's what we often do with these abductees in these surgeries with the implantation. Oh, really? Yes, sir. Um, Vincent asked, and if you do know, have you ever seen or been in, in the presence of a hybrid? I have. Oh, have you? Uh, it, it, it depends on, let me, let me qualify the, the, the answer. It depends on what you call a hybrid. <clears throat> in other words, uh, the woman that I just mentioned that had the hybrid, had the son because she was artificially inseminated. Now mm-hmm. there, there's two different kinds of uh, hybrid situations. And I think he's talking about the second one, the first hybrid situation, that person would be a hybrid from my point of view. Because it's an artificial insemination is what it is. Right. But it's from a human. Now, this uh, first case I permitted with the presented with the alien body inside the, 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 it was a fetus inside the woman. That would be more what most people are referring to as a hybrid. They look, look human like, but they're not. They're something dra- drastically different than them. Yes. Uh, those are, uh, <clears throat> much more rare to see, so to speak. Um, although I get people send me pictures all the time and most of them are Photoshopped. They think you can't spot that, but, uh, mm. our, 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 uh, tech people are really, really good. <clears throat> I said, you know, you can Photoshop this stuff all you want to, but, uh, the fact is I've got, in my opinion, and I've seen hundreds of pictures, thousands probably, of aliens on the internet, drawings, paintings, everything. But I have a picture of, uh, uh, okay, I'll back it up. I was doing a, a, a support group meeting in Dallas, Texas, and a friend of mine, a surgical nurse, walked in, butted in the meet, literally butted in. And I said, uh, hi, hi, how you doing? Uh, we're, we're having a meeting here. And she said, I know. And she just walked over and handed me two eight by 10 color pictures in the night early 1990s of what she took the night before coming through the wall with several people there that were abductees Mm -hmm. and uh, it shows a gray alien they don't look exactly like the stuff on tv they don't they really don't but it's a picture of a gray alien and it's a picture of a praying mantis absolutely in Incredible, and they're not photoshopped. This is before photoshopping, so to speak. Mm. And uh, and we have the negatives, so we we and the wonderful thing about it is we we also have more evidence. The aliens actually touched the car and left a handprint on the car. And uh, since she is well known in the neighborhood, she went and had the police take forensics and uh, a forensic handprint 
off the car. So we have the DNA and the handprint. And I've studied that handprint uh, through uh, hundreds of our uh, photographs of abductees who've had handprints on windows, doors, and things like that. Mm -hmm. and of course, they don't know what this one looks like. <clears throat> and I've had this one picked up in a, a case in Pennsylvania where it was on the wall. I actually cut the sheetrock out. I've got the handprint on the wall, DNA and all in my, in my study. And the second one was, uh, of course, from the car where it, we, we, uh, we got that one off the car from the police. And the third one was uh, in uh, Pensacola, not Pensacola, but in Tampa, Florida. And the fourth one, which was fascinating, was out of Romania. Now, the ones in Romania and the ones in, uh, in Tampa, Florida, were three stories up and there's no balcony. It's on the outside of the window where they came in. Mm -hmm. It's the same handprint, the same alien, same one. The wonderful thing about the fluorescence for your other uh, inquiry, the reason this is important to know, it's important for abductees to know because then they get to realize, oh my gosh, my event was real. Oh, look at the look at the evidence on me. But uh, something more important than that, ultimately for me, uh, from a, an investigator's point of view, is that uh, we've collected the samples of this fluorescence, and now we've built we're building a database of aliens that have touched people so we can find out if it's the same one. Are they all the same DNA or are they different? That's uh, that's one of the things we want to test in the university. Mm. Um, Vincent wants to know, and I do too, uh, do you believe our government or any other government is, is working with hostile or even friendly extraterrestrials? I suspect that... Uh, uh, okay, let, let me answer this from my, I'm going to put my cop hat on to answer that. Okay. Because my abductee hat can say all kinds of things. It's been fooled before. I don't, li I don't like uh, UFO hats because uh, they get fooled and they'll believe just almost anything. Mm -hmm. So my, my cop hat doesn't believe much of anything unless they can prove it or has strong evidence to support it. Uh, my, my personal evidence is that... Uh, the United States government and other governments in particular are heavily ensconced into the alien phenomenon. There's no question about that. Anyone that doesn't know that simply is not informed and they're not well-versed and certainly not well-read uh, in public and also very private and secretive literature, some of which leaks out to the right people. Um, number two, I can't prove that our government is involved with the aliens and sign contracts and did okay first of all i don't know any alien that can sign anything i never <laughs> saw an alien write uh, i the, the the gray alien the small little gray alien that stands about three foot tall the one that got me to begin with they have an iq of about 80. 80 that's a moron they're made hatch clone or manufactured that way for the purpose of making us think they're aliens from other planets they are alien in the sense of the word they're weird and are not like us and are working for someone else that is alien in that sense of the word. But my point is that the, uh, the, uh, we've studied each one of these seven primary ones, like the little gray alien that have an IQ of about 80, the tall, tall alien, taller alien, 
often referred to as the um, doctor, so to speak, and the little gray aliens are terrified of him, absolutely horrified. Because and people don't understand us, they think, you know, think, well, they're just like us, but they're just different. No, they're not like you in any sense of the word, and they're a lot different than you can imagine. They're not like you. They're, they don't live in a world like you. And they're not, and you, all these little terms like, well, just like us, they implant us because we implant animals. No, you're wrong. You, I mean, <laughs> you can't be more incorrect. Uh, it's that you can't make those uh, generalizations and make them stick, not in research. Now, you can you put the UFO hat on, you can make anything work. You can imagine anything in the world, and it can all be possibly true. But I don't know that the how deep the government is involved with the alien phenomena. The answer to the question, I think uh, I can answer it in this way. Would the United States intelligence community sell us, the general public, to the alien for technology if they needed to? Yes, they would. Of course they would. Mm -hmm. I don't know that they have, but uh, my suspicions are, are strong toward the fact that uh, an unholy alliance has been done of whatever Whatever's necessary to get stuff done, they do it. Um, and that being said, uh, Chairman Meow Tong, that's a great name. Uh, do you think, what do you think of men in black? I mean, are, are these uh, something to do with our government? Or like I believe, I think they're kind of the, the extraterrestrial cleanup crew when things are seen. Uh, Lon, you are so sharp. Uh, there, I've, in, in my research for, again, over 50 years, uh, uh, we have found both to be true. The men in black, so to speak, were originally off from the uh, Air Force Office of in, uh, Special Investigations. That It was the Air Force who was doing this initially. Mm -hmm. And uh, they threatened people at Roswell. Uh, several of them, I've, ta I've talked to several of the witnesses. One, little, one of them was a little girl at the time. And they told her, if you ever tell anybody anything, say this desert's an awful big place. They'll never find your body. She is, I think, probably 80 years old now. And she is scared to this day that they might come get her. Now, these are, the, the men in black there are, they, uh, there's an uncanny dichotomy here. Uh, of the, of the two, the alien men in black and the government men in black are two different things. Do the men in black of the government actually exist? Yes, they do. I promise you they do. Um, <clears throat> sometimes they'll, they'll come in person. Uh, I have a friend of mine who uh, obtained some illegal film, let's say, in, a, in an inappropriate way from NASA. Two men met him at a restaurant sit down on either side of him, just looked at him and said, you have something of ours. And he was scared half to death. He was a CBS uh, producer, by the way. And he pulled out of his coat pocket the film that he had paid thousands of dollars to get, NASA film of UFOs, of course, on the moon. And uh, he handed it to him. I said, you three-alarm idiot. Why would you do that? I was scared to death. I thought they were going to kill me. In the middle of a restaurant? What's wrong with your brain? 
Why don't you start screaming for the police? These men are trying to abduct me. These men are trying to kidnap me. They'd call the police and you'd have at least found out who the guys were. They'd have at least got that information. I said, you lost thousands of dollars for the film for nothing. You, What is wrong with you? Well, I was scared to death. I said, that's why you don't need to be working in this field. Anyway, he said, well, you wouldn't believe the photographs. And I, I started pulling out some photographs out of my file and started tossing them across the table. And he looked at them and he said, oh, my God, those are the photographs. I said, yeah, they are. Look just like them, don't they? I'll bet you I didn't pay $5,000 for them. My point is this. Men in black exist, and they are government-related. They will scare you half to death. They will. I, I, I can tell you story after story on that. But let's go to the ones that you talked about, which are much more intimidating. And that are the men in black that are from something else. One day, uh, a, a lady uh, called me uh, from Brazil. She was a friend of mine. And she begged, she wanted to, she was fleeing from the alien, trying to get away. And she wanted to know if she could come live at our home in uh, Houston, Texas. And I, I asked my wife, and she said, yes, tell her to come. So we let her come to our home and stay for about a month. And long story short, a MIB, my wife and I were eating lunch. Uh, I was picking her up for, for, from work, and we're eating lunch, eating this fish dinner. And, and, uh, and I, we were sitting there right in the middle of our fish dinner. And uh, I said, oh, my God, they're in our home. My wife says, what are you talking about? They are in our home right now. <clears throat> anyway, at that time, the, there was this knock on the door, and uh, the girl that was staying with us was helping me assemble some material for my book I was working on. She leaned forward. As she leaned forward, whoever had knocked on the door was already inside the door, standing there, tall, long black coat, long big black hat. And looking at her very straight, he said, he's the strangest looking man I ever saw in my life. I don't know what he was. And she kept trying to look around him. He didn't want her to see the lock. And she moved in a certain way and looked and noticed that the lock was still thrown. She realized he walked through that wall. Mm -hmm. And she realized she's in trouble at this point. Long story short is this was a men in black encounter in my own home. I'm driving as fast as I can. My wife's holding all our food in her arms. It's the biggest mess you ever saw. And uh, when I got home, finally got there about 15, 20 minutes later, <clears throat> the girl was walking around with blood pouring out of her ear, dried, but it was it dripped down her neck, where they'd taken an implant out of her ear. I can't believe I did not ever check her to see if she had an implant. I, mm. It was biological anyway. I probably would have never found it. It's not the point. Mm -hmm. She described it in detail, and that was important. I'll be doing a, a presentation not only at the Encounters, but also in Manchester, England this year uh, with uh, this particular phenomenon. It's absolutely incredible. But the men in black were there, two of them, in my home, taking an implant out of this girl's ear because they didn't want me to find it. Wow. Um. Jan's Roost asked, um, are aliens responsible for mutilations of cattle and crop circles? Uh, brilliant, brilliant question. I love these smart people. 
uh, <clears throat> uh, two, it's a twofold question. First one, I'll okay. answer this way. Um, a friend of mine, uh, Colin Andrews, who was known very widely known back in the early nineties for his serialology. He was called a serialologist. Those were people who studied crop circles back then. They were called serialologists because these crop circles appeared in cereal fields and wheat mm-hmm. fields and things like that. Mm-hmm. So they, everybody called them serialologists. A lot of UFO folks now wouldn't even know what, what they're what we're talking about. Uh, anyway, he was uh, hired by Rockefeller and other people to find out the real story behind crop circles. And he called me before he went public. He said, Daryl, I wanted you to know before I told anybody. And I said, okay. He said, want to take a guess how many of these crop circles are fake and how many are real? And I said, I think it about 80, 80% of them are absolutely 100% fake and are beautiful. He said, it's worse than that. Closer to 90. Mm. And I said, uh, he said, who do you think's doing the fake stuff? I said, I know who's doing it. It's the intelligence community. I said, you can do this with microwave radiation in a minute if you know what you're doing. And you don't need a UFO. You don't need anything. You don't need advanced alien technology to do it. I said, you'll fool, if you'll fool everybody out there, all you do is print an alien face on the ground. I guarantee you they'll all run for it. Yeah. Everyone will put their UFO hat on, run out there. Oh, my God, I'm, I'm feeling weird vibrations right now. I'm, I, do you feel it? I, are you getting it? And uh, I said, but about 10% of them, I said, I said, I was with Dusty Taylor flying in his airplane above uh, one of the, one of the few, they only had a few crop circles that year when I was there. Uh, I mean, a very few, <clears throat> which is real unusual. And I went down in the crop circle area and got a piece of chalk, chalk rock out of the ground there. Mm-hmm. And it's magnetic. And I, I thought that was curious as well. I still have that chalk. So in, in my opinion, I, now I told this same story <clears throat> in Slovakia where there were a bunch of other people there. In fact, there were two Russian, three Russian scientists there. And uh, after I finished the presentation, <laughs> it's funny, one ufologist got up, one of these guys with the UFO hat on, says, what up? Oh, my God, that, I just don't believe that. He said, they're all real. And I said, okay, I don't care. I said, you don't understand. I don't care. I'm not here to convince anybody of anything. It's information. It's data. If you don't want to listen to the data, then go make up your own. You know, it's fine to me. Believe it's all real. I don't care. It doesn't make any difference to me. I said, but I have to know the truth. That's really important to me. So anyway, the, the young guy asked me, he says, well, the, I said, the important thing is the 10% are detectable. You can detect that they're real. What method is it you've developed? I said, no, I'm not going to tell you that here. I said, in an hour, it'll be all over the internet. And the intelligence community will know it as well. And guess what they're going to do to the other 10%? Remove that evidence so you won't know which is what, period. I said, no. I said, listen, you're not listening at all. If you had half a brain, you'd already know what to do. I've given you sufficient hints in this conference. I've spoken for three hours solid, and that's enough. And I'm not going to go any further. And so I stopped. And then when I, people were coming up and talking and everything. And then after I finished talking, these three Russians walked up, hilarious guys. 
And I mean, they look like little Russian scientists with thick glasses and all of that. And uh, just hilarious little beards and everything. And, <laughs> and they looked at me and they smiled and said, you really are CIA. <laughs> and I said, yeah, you're really KGB. <laughs> and they all looked at each other and just smiled. I said, I think we all know how to talk to each other. And that's how we communicated. Mm. So uh, th that's the first question, the, the crop circle thing. The second one, which I think is uh, pretty cool, is mutilations. Mutilations uh, are, I've, I have several presentations I do on mutilations, some of them just for doctors, because believe me, you there's stuff out there you don't want to see. Uh, if you don't know about it, it's just better, because it's better to think of them as some of them are nice and some of them are not nice and that's all, you know, it, no, I want to, I want to know, the whole, I have to know the whole story, all of it, mm -hmm. not some of it, not a piece of it, all of it. And, uh, and I'll give you this, a, a little anecdotal story. This is a wonderful story. The, pri the primary person that got popularized academy relations more than anybody was a, a five Alabama cop named, uh, uh, what is his name right offhand? I'll remember it here in a second. But he's, he's a really nice guy, and he's done some really good work. And, of course, Linda Howe and other people did too. But this guy really got it cranked up. He's a Fife, Alabama police officer. And uh, he wanted to meet me at a conference and in San Francisco. And I said, okay, and so I'll buy you a steak dinner. That's it sounded like a winner to me. And I got there, and I pulled out the salt shaker and took the lid off and sprinkled salt all over the steak. And he said, Oh my God, that really is true about abductees, isn't it? I said, about the salt intake? He said, yeah. I said, you better believe it. And his, uh, the lady that was with him just leaned back against the wall with her chair. And uh, I realized, of course, anytime this guy offers you a steak, you're the one that's on the menu. <laughs> and he looks at me and says, yeah, um, he's tough. He's a cop. He's tough. He got that cop hat on. He said, I want to know what you know about cattle mutilations. I said, well, good night, Ted Oliphant. I said, Ted, of all people, you're the expert here. Why in the world would you ask somebody like me a question about like that, which is your field? You know more about than anybody. <clears throat> it, that didn't work. He said, I want to know what you know about cattle mutilations. And I said, I don't, I've I read, I read a bunch of stuff, but that didn't mean anything. He gets right face to face. I want to know what you know about cattle mutilations. I said, you have at least three different kinds. One of them, they do. He said, who's they? I said, the alien, whatever you want to call him. I said, the second group is the intelligence community. We did it. He said, who's that? And I said, the, the military intelligence people. That's them. And there's a third group, and he said, who are them? And I, I said, I said, this is going to sound a little off. He said, just tell me. I said, people who worship these beings, they'll give anything. They want to be abducted more than anybody out there because they know if I could just get abducted by them and they would know and see me for who I really am, they would love me. They would, they would realize I'm one of the... I'm one of the ones that really came for. I said, those people, they're the ones cutting up cattle and, and animals, things like that too. That's much more rare. 
And he said, you said a fourth group. I said, there actually is a fourth, but I don't pay much attention to them. I said, these are cultists and weirdos, oddballs out there cutting up cattle just because they can. And they, they're evil, just evil people who hurt animals. I said, but every one of those have a different signature. Every one of them. He said, well, give me an example. I said, your cattle glow in the dark. And I mean, I thought he was going to have a heart attack. Who told you that? Where did you hear that? Where did you find that out? I want to know right now. And I said, your cattle glow. And he said, what color? And so I told him, he said, we never told anybody that. How'd you find that out? I said, <clears throat> I said, Ted, I used to be a cop. I'm not stupid, you know. I can find things out. I used to be along to the intelligence community. I, I, I have a few skills left. And uh, anyway, he says, um, well, I think it's all the intelligence community. I, he said the military. I said, it's not the military. It's the intelligence community. Well, it's the same. I said, no, it's not the same thing. I said, I was in the military, and I don't like you blaming people like me doing stuff like that that I would never, ever done, and I don't know anybody else that would have done it. I said, now, the intelligence community, these boys that do all kinds of stuff, have and will and will continue to do. And he says, well, I think it's all the same thing. I said, no, it's not. Well, I say it is. And I said, well, you're wrong. I said, how does it feel to be wrong? He said, no, I'm right. And I said, I, he said, you got a case, make it. That which is typical cop talk. Mm -hmm. And I said, don't, don't make me embarrass you in front of God and everybody else in this room. He said, you got a case, make it. And I said, all right. And I gave him the case. I told him about uh, tons of meat falling from the air. Tons of meat. All kinds of animals, including human. And the ones that were human, they found were heart, lungs, and certain entrails that had been sliced very thin. Yeah, still didn't prove it wasn't the intelligence community. I said, you haven't let me finish my conversation. I said, I'm fixing to nail you to the wall. The case happened in 1880. Who in the CIA do you think did that in 1880? <laughs> I said, you don't know what you're talking about, my friend. I said, you're a brilliant man. You're as sharp as a razor. And you're on the right track. But there are three other tracks besides yours that you should be looking at. And all of them have different signatures. <clears throat> anyway, um, we went through that. And then, I, of course, then I, I go into human mutilations as well. From Like I mm -hmm. said, I've got two dead children in Dallas, Texas. A woman skinned alive in, in another country. I mean, literally skinned alive in her own bed. Not a drop of blood in that bed. Not a drop. And I've got pictures of the whole thing. And then, of course, there's a famous water sponga case in Brazil. The guy right. who was found float dead, floating in the water and all that. Everybody, I, 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 those that don't know about it, if you, you want to write me, I'll send you free uh, my write-up on the water sponga case and why I think that it was true and so on and so on. But uh, human mutilations are, everybody tends to think in things of like things being dead. You know, they don't have to be dead. Human Abductees come back from their events without missing with missing parts. One lady came back from her abduction event with a missing labia. Mm. Was uh, sometimes people come back with scoop marks missing, missing pieces of flesh, or if a reptile gets you, you come back with these huge 
three uh, claw marks down your back or your side. Uh, one one guy got, uh, I've got a picture of him where he got, uh, the reptile grabbed his arm and he claims he got cancer as a result of it. I don't know that to be true. I can't prove that yet, but I'll check into it and I am checking into it. But uh, the the clearly whatever grabbed him had huge claws, probably uh, three, and eight, three, four inches long and uh, razor sharp. I mean, uh, absolutely amazing stuff. So to me, these are mutilations. I don't care whether you're dead or not. Mm-hmm. But most, most important mutilation, in my opinion, happened to one of my abductees in uh, outside Houston. I get a call from her, and uh, she tells me about it. And I said, oh, my God, when did this happen? She said, about two weeks ago. And this is typical of abductees. Abductees, contactees and abductees do this. They destroy, hide, or will ignore evidence all the time. All the time. And I said, you're calling me two weeks after your horse was mutilated? <laughs> your favorite horse? The, your, the horse of your dreams, your life? And you've got a half a dozen head of, of horses out there? And anyway, she tells me the whole story. And I'm sitting there flabbergasted. And uh, what was incredible about the story, she's the only case in the world where the horse was mutilated and brought back alive. Really? Alive. Unbelievable. Incredible. It's, it's one of the best cases. That I, I, I underscored as uh, the case of the century for me because uh, the horse came back alive. And I, we have our own ideas about why that happened, but that's neither here nor there. The horse did come back alive. They finally called a vet and had it put down with uh, a drug, of course, to, because they didn't want it in, in agony anymore. But the back end of it had been literally eaten out. Uh, uh, it's it just incredible. And there was no mm. signs of uh, fighting or kicking or anything where the horse was laying on the ground. None. This was a huge horse and uh, wasn't afraid of anybody or anything. This was not a mountain lion. And the vet and everybody else said the same thing. It was not a mountain lion. And what horse is going to lay there and let a mountain lion chew the back end of their, their it's not going to happen. Besides no. that, the, the mountain lion is going to go for your neck and going to, it's going to break your, break your, sever your vertebrae or cut off your breathing. I mean, that, that's, yeah. anyway, it, it, I guarantee it was not a mountain lion. It wasn't anything because there was no struggle. None. There was no marks of any struggle whatsoever. It was brought back and laid there, and she came out and found it. Mm. It's an incredible story, incredible. So, Daryl, why don't you tell the folks again wh- where you're going to be appearing at, what conferences or whatever else you got coming up, and um, anything else you want to tell? Well, I'd be glad to. Uh, there's a one of my favorite conferences. This is going to be a big one uh, for me, uh, and these are friends of mine. Uh, is EncounterQuest.com. Encounter Quest is a conference we're going to have uh, in Hamlet, North Carolina, April 1st. And you go to, like say, EncounterQuest.com. And uh, I'm telling you, it's, it's going to be a riot. I'll do, be doing a presentation the night before. I'll do two workshops, one of alien evidence and, and implant testing. I'll show you how to find evidence on. In, if you've had an alien contact event, there's evidence on you, in you, or around you. And that's just the fact. Then I'll do a second workshop on, the, it's called The Right Way, which I'll do insight into the character 
analysis of your character, have you analyze your own handwriting and I'll show you how to do it and tell you things about, you'll see things about your life that you may have been surprised about. Mm. Uh, and I'll show you how that works with alien abductions as well. And uh, how, how we use that for our investigative skills. Great. Well, Daryl, I want to I appreciate you coming on. And uh, we're going to have to get you back on again at some point. So uh, you have a good weekend, and we'll talk soon. Lon, you're a, a great host, and I appreciate you. You're uh, I've heard good things about you, and I, it's my first time to meet you in person. And uh, I am delighted to, uh, to, to be on your program. Thank you. Will you take care? Yes, sir. Mm-hmm. Now, if you've had a sighting or encounter report that you'd like to be considered for the personal report show, or even post on Fams and Monsters, uh, feel free to forward your to my email at lawnstricklerfamsandmonsters.com. I want to again thank uh, Daryl Sins for joining me this evening, and, and thanks to each and all of you for watching and chatting. Uh, we get some really great questions on the chat, and there's always a great conversation. Uh, so please like, subscribe, share, and also uh, share your comments. So like I said earlier, next uh, Wednesday at 9 p.m. Eastern, 6 p.m. Pacific, I will again present another personal reports episode. We've had some really weird ones come in in recent weeks, so that should be very interesting. Uh, next Friday night at 9 p.m., uh, we will conduct a malevolent haunting roundtable. Uh, we're still working on some of the guests, but that should be very informative little bit different than what we did before so please tune in and uh we look forward to you coming on and, and stay tuned for a paranormal life of bernadette mcdaniel with her guest afterlife author hadley lajos here on fans of monster radio at 11 p.m eastern time so until we meet again stay safe and have a healthy week good night